This is Second Look. I'm Bob Levicky, WMRA's news director. Today is the centennial of the day the guns were silenced to end the First World War. In the U.S., we officially mark Veterans Day tomorrow, but let me take a moment to thank all the veterans who have served and are serving. That includes my dad, who was an Army Air Corps officer in Europe back in World War II. He made it home, otherwise I wouldn't be here. Thanks, Cliff. Well, stay tuned. If you missed the John Stickley trio in Harrisonburg last week, we're going to replay Chris Boros' conversation with uh, John Stickley about the music and the inspiration for their progressive roots. You'll learn something, especially if you're not really sure what progressive roots music is. We'll also learn about a Harrisonburg couple doing what they can to train first responders to deal with the stress of the job. And the effects include a higher-than-average incidence of depression and suicide. Plus, more on that compressor station in Buckingham County for the Atlantic Coast Pipeline, mostly in a historically black neighborhood. But first, on Tuesday, Virginians elected three new Congresswomen to represent the state on Capitol Hill. It was one of the largest gains for women in the country, Virginia Public Radio's Mallory Nopain reports. As Democrat Abigail Spanberger gave her victory speech in Virginia's 7th Congressional District, she held her young daughter in her arms. Speaking to reporters after, Spanberger says it feels fantastic to be part of a wave of new female representation. I think it will change what we see happening in Congress come January. In addition to Spanberger, Democrats Elaine Luria and Jennifer Wexton also won election Tuesday night. Virginia's gain of three women is comparable to some states, but it is among the top. Kelly Dittmar is with the Center for American Women and Politics. She says female candidates proved especially adept this year at flipping districts. If you look at uh, the total number of red to blue districts, for example, women are a significant proportion of the winners in those places. And in Virginia, those places were the suburbs. Spanberger won just west of Richmond, while Wexton won the neighborhoods outside of D.C. A state regulatory board was set to vote last week in favor of a key permit for a giant compressor station in Buckingham County. Dominion will use the station to push natural gas through the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. But opponents say that construction is being thrust on a historically black community. Mallory has that story, too. Members of Virginia's Air Pollution Control Board heard hours of public comment Thursday about the Buckingham Compressor Station. Supporters argue it could stimulate the rural area's economy. Dominion says they'll abide by some of the strictest environmental standards in the country. But opponents, like Ella Rose, fear the community's health and history is at risk. I feel that we have been targeted because it is an historical African-American neighborhood. Rose's home is near the proposed site. It's special because I breathe the free air and I love to watch the animals and the stars in the sky at night. And I'm afraid that's going to be um, distracted. In Richmond, I'm Mallory Nopain. Firefighters and other first responders face high rates of post-traumatic stress, depression, and suicide. For decades, shame and stigma have kept these issues in the dark. But in Virginia, a number of departments are working to change these trends, including a couple from Harrisonburg. Catherine Comp with our partner station WCVE has more. About five years ago, a firefighter at Fort Belvoir took his own life. That person slipped through the cracks. Jonathan Lang saw himself slipping, too, into addiction. Guys knew, you know, that I had an issue, but it was all swept under the rug. 
Lang didn't want anyone else to slip through the cracks, whether facing substance abuse, depression, post-traumatic stress, or all of those things at once. You know, we're supposed to be the, the heroes, the ones that come to help other people. We spend so much time worrying about other people, we don't take any time for ourselves. I mean, dedicated firefighters, you know, that are dedicated to the job, they don't know that it starts to take a toll on them. Lang sought treatment for addiction. After rehab, he went to his chief, shared his story, and asked about developing a peer support team at Northern Virginia's Fort Belvoir. That was the first step, was getting management's buy-in to the program, because without that, it, it wouldn't work. A year and a half later, Langs built a peer support team of 16 people, including firefighters from nearby Fort Myer. It's the first peer support program for first responders at a U.S. Army installation. Members go through intensive trainings on stigma, suicide intervention, and mitigating stress. Today's training is by Virginia First Responder Support Services. All right. We'll go ahead and get started. Harrisonburg firefighter Gene Thompson co-teaches the class with his wife Sarah, a counselor whose PhD work focuses on firefighters and mental health. So an overview is um, day two, peer support skills, signs and symptoms of stress, PTSD, and depression. Signs and symptoms are different for everyone, say the Thompsons. What's key is having a team prepared to look for them. It can really be anything. It can be you know, sleeping problems, drinking problems, you know, any, anything. Being depressed, yeah. being sad, anxious, anxious. being jumpy, mm -hmm. you know, There's night terrors. The class discusses the subtle but intentional ways peers can be accessible and build trust, even with the guy that might be gruff on the outside. If they become grumpy over 20 years, do you think you're going to fix them in a day? No. no. Firefighters can internalize a lot of stress. Shifts are long. Here at Fort Belvoir, they're 48 hours, sometimes with mandatory overtime. You're away from your kids and spouse, missing everyday things like dinner and homework, and milestones like birthdays and graduations. Class is briefly interrupted when a call comes in for a fire at a townhouse. But firefighters respond to so much more including traumatic events like pediatric deaths, overdoses, and suicides. Having peers that can share that burden and that know what I've went through and I can offload some of that, that stress onto and, and they help me share the burden of, of knowing it, it really feels good to just offload and, and tell somebody. Sometimes trauma is provoked by the sight of a victim. Sometimes it's the look on a family member's face, says Fort Belvoir Lieutenant Corey McGee. A month earlier, he responded to a suicide. Um, the, uh, the, the husband was home, or was home at least when we arrived, and to see the impact on him and the family, to find out later that they had kids and everything else, uh, you, you sit back and you think about that and you're like, that is a very sad situation. And for what we seen as providers to go in was a pretty, pretty, you know, nasty incident to be on. And uh, to kind of walk away from that, to be humans as we walk away, and then uh, provide care to the husband after that, and then on top of that, come back home, back here to the station, make dinner, um, go about our evening like nothing ever happened. Um, 
it's, it's, a, it's a different kind of day for most people. A study released by the Rutterman Family Foundation in 2018 found that police officers and firefighters are more likely to die by suicide than in the line of duty. There were 103 documented suicide deaths by firefighters and 93 deaths in the line of duty in 2017. Which is scary, and it's, uh, we're noticing it. And we're, we're noticing that there can, there can be an intervention before something terrible happens like that. According to state data obtained by WCVE, in Virginia, at least 71 first responders died by suicide between 2007 and 2016. That number includes 45 law enforcement, 14 firefighters, 7 paramedics, and 5 dispatchers. These and national numbers might be low. The Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance estimates that less than half of all firefighter suicides are reported. You know, we need to break the stigma because that stigma is what's actually killing these first responders. Peer support training for first responders covers all kinds of scenarios, like getting outside help for a colleague in crisis and checking in after bad calls. Peer specialists learn to look for problems at home with relationships or finances. But getting people to open up without shame is a challenge. Jonathan Lang pauses when I ask about stigma at his own department. He says peer support and mental health aren't popular topics. It's hard. There's a lot of comments. Uh, you know, I hear weak-minded a lot. You know, just suck it up. Um, you know, we, it's, we have to get out of that mentality. Lang is making good progress. Before this weekend, Captain Samantha Green and Lieutenant Corey McGee didn't see themselves playing a role in peer support. As I said in the beginning of this class, I was like, this is just the complete BS class. It's touchy-feely. It's not, it's not, not my style. So before, I was definitely the poster child of, you know, you come back to a station and you use dark humor. That's how we got over things. By the end of the first day of class, both were changed. They have a better understanding of the mental health crisis facing emergency services and they now see themselves as part of the solution. Dealing with your people is the most important thing we do every day, whether it's informal or formal leader, taking care of your guys, period. So the stigma's gotta be cut, it's gotta be, somehow. But it starts with us, it starts with me, and it starts with everybody else, so. There is a lot of work to do to change the culture in fire departments. Mike Jackson is president of Fort Myer Local F253. He says they're playing catch up, taking small, but significant steps. It's important, but it's going to be a hard road because, you know, you've got these guys that I have to be tough. I don't want to talk to you about my problems kind of a, a mentality happening. So we've got to break that down and start over. The challenges are immediate and the need is urgent. Another Virginia firefighter recently died by suicide. Jonathan Lang said their peer support team was able to deploy to that department to offer assistance, resources, and a listening ear. I, I just want people to know about our program and be able to reach out to us from all over the country. You know, that's my goal is, you know, especially the federal, federal side, the firefighters. F federal firefighters don't really have a outlet for that. You know, so um, my goal is to just to be able to help whoever comes in the door and be ready for any situation that possibly we might see. 
Lang sees a future where at least one peer team member is scheduled on every shift, where all new recruits receive peer support and mental health training at fire academies, a future where empathy is a core part of the fire service, and a future where no more first responders slip through the cracks. I'm Katherine Kump, WCVE News. And finally today, Progressive Roots music came to Clementine Cafe in Harrisonburg last week with the John Stickley Trio. If you weren't there, you missed a great show, but no worries. WMRA's Chris Boros spoke with John about their music. This is music from the John Stickley Trio. It's grounded in acoustic roots music, but it's pretty unconventional, different, and at times challenging. I spoke with John Stickley recently and asked him if the progressive nature of his music is organic or deliberate. Uh, probably a little bit of both. You know, one thing that I do try to do is is make the music uh, unique. You know, um, come up with a lot of ideas, and some are some are more derivative of my background and my roots, maybe a little more bluegrass, and then others are just kind of uh, yeah, a hodgepodge of all the things going on in my head. And uh, yeah, I've been trying to experiment more with original kind of weird ideas. So your roots is in bluegrass. Um, yeah, as far as music that I've really, really focused on and tried to kind of master the nuances of, uh, bluegrass, newgrass, acoustic guitar, mandolin, that's the music that really got me wanting to really focus and hone my technique. And I understand when you were a kid, your dad showed you your first guitar chords and you were like 12, right? Oh yeah, I remember sitting in middle school just uh, making the finger positions for A, D, and E. Uh, twist and shout, and uh, yeah, I, I never really looked back as far as uh, learning guitar. So what was the first bluegrass that you heard that you went, oh man, this is awesome? It wasn't traditional bluegrass. It was actually the music of um, David Grisman Quintet. And I assume that probably led you to like Newgrass Revival and stuff like that? Yep. Uh, the next stop was Bela Fleck and the Flecktones. And, you know, I was just captivated by the energy, uh, kind of the virtuosity of the music. But, you know, I, I had heard Foggy Mountain Breakdown and uh, the Beverly Hillbillies. And, you know, I had heard a little bit of banjo music and it, it was never something that really grabbed me um, and it wasn't until I heard that new grass style of, of picking that I was like wow this is uh, there was something that just grabbed my ear a little bit more uh, and it wasn't as as country sounding which, which I wasn't really into like things that sounded as country when I was growing up but uh, through that music through that new grass music and learning about David Grisman and Bela Fleck I kind of learned who their influences were and that took that backwards journey that a lot of lot of people take, you know, throughout their musical kind of endeavors.
my wife and I saw the trio, the John Stickley trio at Red Wing this past summer. And I remember after seeing the gig and being pretty much blown away, I told her if these guys had a Mellotron, they'd be a prog rock band. <laughs> Is that okay? I mean, do you mind a comparison like that? No, not at all. And, you know, a lot of people have told us that same thing, um, that we sound like uh, acoustic prog. And I think it's just a testament to the the prog nature of what we're doing. I mean, we're we're blending everything that we like in a way that works for us, you know, and it, we aren't copying other prog bands. And, and I think the earliest prog bands were doing the same thing. They weren't, they weren't listening to prog. They were just jazz musicians experimenting with rock. A lot of people have said, oh, you sound like the Dixie Dregs, or you sound, uh, you remind us of Mahi Vishnu Orchestra. And that's a really cool compliment and, and something that's kind of led us to new music because I didn't grow up listening to a lot of music like that. But through our band, I've kind of discovered more of it. So the trio is you on guitar, and then it's drums and fiddle. Lindsay Pruitt plays fiddle in the band, and she's a powerhouse on the instrument. What can you tell me about her? She grew up uh, listening to her dad play, and her, her dad was playing with Vassar Clements, the great bluegrass fiddler, when Lindsay was a little kid. So Lindsay met, met Vassar Clements as a baby. And as she got older and started kind of uh, getting to know herself and making her own way in the world. She kind of rebelled against, you know, the music of her father and went hardcore classical. And then, you know, as time goes on, she kind of worked her way back. When I met her in Asheville, we really clicked. And uh, she's, she's someone who I started playing with her and instantly my musicality stepped up a couple notches for sure. What's the writing process like for you guys? I mean, are you presenting the material to the band written out? Is it demoed? Are you guys just jamming? How does it all work? Yeah, the, the way we've kind of settled into uh, the writing process is I usually come up with a simple demo. So I, I'll basically write a song, but the song that I write is a rhythm, some chords, and a melody. And then I record a simple demo on my phone usually and send that out to the band and say hey guys take a listen to this and uh if it's something you think we should move forward with go ahead and just like get the melody in your head and get a feel for it maybe think about some ideas as far as the way we could treat this song after that we'll get together and uh, start kind of working through it and together we come up with an arrangement that uh 
we can take out and play on the road and see how it works. When I saw you guys at Red Ring, one of the things I thought was really cool is that there were people in the audience that were dancing and rocking out and having a great time. And then there were other people that were sitting and watching and like really paying attention and being intricate in the music. It's like you guys can kind of do both. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're really, I, I'm pretty proud of our ability to do that. You know, it's not, we aren't getting by just on the high energy aspect of it. And we aren't getting by just on the musical virtuosity of it. So. We like to be able to do all of that because we want to rock for sure, but there's a lot of situations and a lot of shows where it's it's not really that type of, of gig, but we can still, you know, rage out the 2 a.m. set at Huluween where, you know, people need the energy to, to stay up at that hour, and uh, but hopefully it's, you know, musically legit too. Well, you guys definitely have the energy, man. Thank you so much for your time today, John Stickley. Thank you for the music. Thanks so much. Cannot wait. We're going to have a ball. Support for WMRA's News and Information Fund, which makes our award-winning coverage possible. is provided by Bib and Dolly Frazier, Les and Johnny Grady, Klein May Realty, Eugene Stoltzfus Architects, Joy Loving, Janet Tretner, Nancy Barber, Pam and Jim Huggins, an anonymous donor, and by a grant from a donor-advised fund of the Community Foundation of Harrisonburg and Rockingham County. You will find all our stories archived at WMRA.org to support local news on WMRA. Go to the website, Mouseover News. Then click on News and Information Fund. And subscribe to the WMRA Daily Podcast for an update on local and statewide news every weekday right there on your smartphone. Details at WMRA.org. I'm Bob Levicky, WMRA's News Director and Morning Edition host. I'll talk to you in the morning. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday.